Folks, I want to welcome you all to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we're broadcasting from the top of the Habern Building in Louisville, Kentucky. This is uh, Forward Radio 106.5 FM. You can find out a little bit more about our station if you go to forwardradio.org. That's forwardradio.org. And we're live streaming now. So if you go to that website and click on a button, uh, you can uh, listen to us anywhere in the state, anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world. So folks, uh, uh, want to share with you uh, uh, something from the Southern Poverty Law Center. This is their fall uh, magazine. Uh, they do a lot of investigative reporting. They just don't rely on law enforcement. They have their own uh, sources of information. Uh, they investigate. They research. They find out things. And they also file lawsuits as well, but uh, uh, just I want to share with you from the introduction from their fall magazine, Hate and Extremism in 2021 by the Southern Poverty Law Center. The Southern Poverty Law Center's intelligence project uses investigative journalism to expose and marginalize the activities and influence of domestic hate groups and other far-right extremists, including the, the Ku Klux Klan, the neo-Nazi movement, neo-Confederates, racist skinheads, anti-government militias, Christian identity adherents, and others. And it continues, we are currently tracking more than 1,600 extremist groups operating across the country, 838 of which we classify as hate groups because their beliefs and practices attack or malign an entire class of people, typically for immutable characteristics. Without question, the rise to power of former President Donald Trump electrified the hate movement in the United States and abroad. Even beyond his tenure, he and his followers continue to sow division and hate with a steady stream of conspiracy theories and racist lies. Those words and actions have consequences. Hate crimes have surged. For the third year in a row, the number of police agencies participating in the FBI's annual hate crimes report declined, yet the number of incidents reached levels not seen since 2008. Teachers across the country have reported a sudden spike in the use of racial slurs and incidents involving swastikas, Nazi salutes, and Confederate flags. The impact of these crimes on people and communities can never be reduced to mere statistics. 
behind every one of the 7,759 reported hate crimes last year is a victim of violence, intimidation, or vandalism targeted for no other reason than their race, religion, national origin, gender, disability, gender identity, or sexual orientation. Now, the domestic extremist movement is entering a perlius new phase. Four years after the deadly white supremacist rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, it is clear that the event signaled a new chapter in the attempt to bring anti-democratic white nationalist ideas into the mainstream. Today, this new era is evidenced in the ambiguous boundaries between these organized hate groups and radicalized individuals who were spurred on by misinformation and disinformation. It was especially clear during the January 6th attack on our democracy when armed insurrectionists breached the U.S. Capitol during the Senate count of electoral votes. And we've seen it by way of extremists exploiting the events of 2021, chiefly the global health crisis and election fraud conspiracies to raise money and spread racist propaganda aimed at indoctrinating people to their movement. While great strides have been made by those working to counter white supremacy in communities throughout the nation, we understand that much work lies ahead. It is important now, it is more important now than ever that we do everything we can to reject hate and extremism, to refuse racism and white supremacy, and to begin to heal the nation's deep wounds by holding anti-democratic elected officials accountable and acknowledging our history of slavery and oppression. It was from the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center's Fall Magazine. Today, Friday, November 19th, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, Kyle Rittenhouse was cleared on all counts. Kyle Rittenhouse killed Joseph Rosenbaum, 36 years of age, Anthony Huber, 26 years of age, and shot and wounded Gage Grosskreutz, uh, cleared on all counts. Um, Wednesday of this week, uh, the QAnon shaman, uh, um, he had pled guilty to uh, uh, one count of obstructing Congress, and uh, he was given three years and uh, five months. The QAnon shaman, uh, his name is Jacob Chansley, uh, three years, five months. Now, this is 
Uh, I want to read something that I wrote for uh, the Kentucky Alliance Bulletin. Uh, the federal court seems to be handing out light sentences of probation to the insurrectionists who invaded the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. Why? We have so many people in the United States who are locked up for long periods for relatively minor crimes. Under three strikes types of sentencing, people have been given the equivalent of life sentences for stealing a slice of pizza. U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland is reportedly concerned that long sentences for insurrectionists might make the situation worse. He is wrong. The exact historical comparison is the Beer Hall push, which happened November 8th, 9th, 1923. That's where Adolf Hitler and the Nazis tried to uh, uh, overthrow the Weimar Republic in Germany. So after the Beer Hall push was unsuccessful, where you had armed men attempting to march on uh, government, and there was actual uh, gunfighting in the streets of Munich, shots fired, people injured. Hitler was given a five-year sentence, five years, but he only served nine months. And he used that opportunity to write most of his uh, really horrible work, uh, book, uh, Mein Kampf. If Adolf Hitler had served five years instead of the nine months, he would have missed his historical moment and the world would have passed him by as it did so many would-be revolutionaries in the 1920s and 30s. Could it be that the light sentences are because 99.9% of the January 6th perpetrators are white? U.S. President Joe Biden is unwilling to admit that a significant number of Americans have refused to accept his presidency and are dedicated to an all-or-nothing attack on the current governing system of the United States of America. Unless President Joe Biden gives up his attachment to archaic anti-democratic customs such as the filibuster and manages to get the voting rights bills passed, the system that Joe Biden loves so much will quickly disappear. So that is kind of where we are in the country uh, as we speak. Um, and so the question, what are we to do? Now, what I have said previously in regards to the people who went into the United States Capitol on January 6th, I believe there should be a minimum five-year sentence for everybody who was inside the building. 
everybody, young, old, uh, male, female, uh, because it was a disgrace. It was threat, a threat to democracy, not only here, but everywhere in the world. And what was even more disgraceful about it, uh, there was an Air Force Academy graduate inside the Capitol on that day. We paid for his education. How dare he do that? You're talking about somebody who went to college on the taxpayer's dime and dares to do that? You had off-duty police officers in there. You had at least one former Army officer in the building on January the 6th. Uh, 41 months, frankly, is not enough. Not enough. And uh, they should be sent, every last one of them, to Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, because that's where terrorists are sent. The people who came into the Capitol building on January the 6th are white domestic terrorists. Five years, Guantanamo Bay. And, and this needs to be said, the real leader of the insurrection on January the 6th is the former president, Donald Trump. He should be in Guantanamo Bay with the people that he instigated, motivated, and, uh, and even though he wasn't there in person, uh, led them to their demise. He should be in Guantanamo Bay with everybody who went into the Capitol building. And then, and then, uh, five years from now, perhaps this sort of wave of hysteria and hatred will pass us by. And uh, now, some have said, uh, for instance, Michael Moore, the filmmaker, and, you know, he's from Michigan, and he wants to stand up for his people. And I say his people, I'm talking about those white guys that are roaming around in the woods of Michigan uh, in their uh, unofficial militia units and uh, uh, raiding the state capitals and that sort of thing. And uh, so he wants to stand up for them. So he says, well, if those guys had $50,000 a year jobs, they wouldn't be doing that. And so what Michael Moore, the filmmaker, is referring to is the, the deindustrialization um, slash globalization of the late 70s, where the business community decided that the rate of increase in profits wasn't sufficient for them. So they decided to offshore the jobs and uh, send all the good jobs overseas, looking for cheap labor and no unions and, and no environmental regulations. And so that's what he's talking about. And I, I, 
and I will say that I think that uh, that Michael Moore is right in the sense that it is rising economic inequality that spurred what happened in 2016 because you had large numbers of white people who looked up and saw that they didn't have a future. They had a job that wasn't that great. They didn't have a defined benefit pension. Uh, Working conditions weren't that good. Uh, They weren't looking at a good retirement and that the American dream wasn't there for their, for them or their children. That, that MIP, that white privilege, automatic middle-class strat, uh, status was being stripped away from them by both major political parties. Both major political parties were conspiring to strip white privilege and a comfortable way of life away from large numbers of white people. And they were upset about it, rightly so. So that's all true. Michael Moore could be right that, you know, the the white militias, the three percenters, that in other words, they're not all uh, just born and bred racist, Nazis, so on and so forth, Klansmen. Uh, that is economic inequality is driving uh, some of it. That's all true. But it two things can be true at the same time in the sense that Large numbers of people have become invested in the type of white supremacy, Trumpism, uh, nihilism um, uh, that is burning all down because I'm not happy. They're addicted to the thrill of it because the people who went into the Capitol on January the 6th, they were there for the all or nothing struggle. They were there to burn it all down because they're not getting, or at least they think they're not getting, what it is they think they're entitled to from their country. So they want to burn it all down. And so large numbers of people have become sort of addicted to it. talk about the opioid crisis um, this uh, white supremacy Trumpism white nationalism um, off-brand America firstism uh, uh, hate every other uh, black brown gayism it's become addictive to large numbers of people So the question is, will, uh, say, a revived economy solve the problem? Now, during the 1930s in this country, there were uh, extremes of of left and right here. There was a thriving Communist Party, thriving Nazi Party right here in the United States. And so Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, hey, these people are liable to turn over the tables and uh, burn everything down. So he said, hey, we're going to have this new deal, uh, the CCC and the WPA and, and all the letters, and uh, we're going to you know, 
and pump some money into the economy and put some money in people's pockets and give people some opportunities uh, to quiet everybody down and keep folks from wanting to turn over the table. And he, Franklin Delano Roosevelt did a pretty good job, but then World War II came along and, you know, uh, the war economy, the way they structured it, uh, uh, everybody had a job, basically, and uh, uh, either in the military or uh, building tanks, uh, uh, ships, whatever. Now, now, of course, not everybody benefited from uh, the uh, 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 what Roosevelt was doing. Uh, you know, uh, farm workers and domestic workers uh, really didn't get all the... Um, they were entitled to out of it. And we do have to mention that the GI Bill that came out of World War II, a lot of black people were denied, uh, black service people were denied the benefits of the GI Bill because the local uh, administrators simply would not give it to them. They just would not do it. And that's all over the country. And there's a bill in Congress uh, now that try to, uh, resolve that issue. So, but of course, a lot of those World War II guys are dead, and so they're trying to resolve it so that uh, their descendants uh, can recover. Uh, so, uh, the question is I mean, uh, so Joe Biden wants to be the second coming of Franklin Delano Roosevelt in the hopes that that will quiet people down and people start to behave better. Uh, now, uh, What's interfering with his agenda, of course, is uh, Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin. And people become becoming upset with Joe Biden because they feel like it's his job to get his agenda through. And they're not just willing to put it all off on Sinema and, and, and Manchin. They see it as J Joe Biden's job. And if he can't get his agenda through, then uh, maybe he's just not a good leader. That's the way they're looking at it. Uh, so, uh, so there are two questions, really. Can Joe Biden get his uh, second coming of Franklin Delano Roosevelt program through? That's one. And two, will it work as far as calming people down? Let's say there's a third of the country that is really dedicated to sort of right-wing uh, vicious, um, um, anti-Muslim, anti-gay, anti-Mexican, anti-black, uh, will, you know, uh, uh, a rising tide lifting all boats, will it work? We just don't know. We don't know whether Joe Biden can get enough of his agenda through and popularize it and publicize it so that people understand the benefits that they are getting. And two, we don't know whether that will be enough to quiet or calm people down or people will still be fixated on taking their country back from, who, you know, who? The black, the, the brown, the gay, Wall Street, whomever they say they want to take it back from, will uh, 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 Joe Biden's program work? We just don't know. It's all up in the air. And so the question is, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
the very distinguished uh, African-American journalist, uh, Betty Bae, um, you know, opined that, you know, when Joe, that is Joe Biden, got in, that he would calm everybody down. And so I think that's what Joe Biden wants to do. Uh, but the question is, is it working? Uh, is it working? Will it work? I mean, I think we all, I mean, all good people have to hope that it does work, that he will be able to, uh, quote unquote, calm people down. Uh, oh, by the, by the way, uh, 106.5 FM, we don't uh, endorse or uh, uh, support any political party uh, or uh, any uh, uh, candidates, just as a note. But now I'm just speaking as a citizen, that is, the turmoil and unrest in our country, uh, the hatred uh, uh, being st- uh, stoked by certain folk still today, even as we speak, uh, we all have to hope that uh, there can be not only a return to some sort of uh, equilibrium, but the truth is 2019 wasn't that great for a lot of people. I'm talking about pre-COVID. And uh, even pre-2016, economic inequality was going strong, and that's how you got Donald Trump in the first place. Because white people said in uh, uh, 2016 that they were either going to vote for Bernie Sanders or Trump because of what they were feeling about their future, about the future of their children and grandchildren. So the question is, are we in a better place now? Now, on paper, we might be, but are we psychically? Are we psychologically? Are we spiritually? Because until we get to that place spiritually, uh, psychologically, uh, then sometimes the numbers on paper just don't matter because sometimes the, the numbers on paper are incorrectly explained to uh, deliberately uh, to folk and they stay in a constant state of agitation and uh, excitement. Uh, and so uh, that is kind of where we are here. And... Um, and so the question is, you know, what can we all do uh, as human beings? I'm not talking about as political actors. What can we all do as as human beings uh, to make this world uh, livable, not for ourselves, but for, our, uh, you know, our elders, our, our siblings, our uh, uh, children and grandchildren? What can we do? Is there anything that we can do? as an individual, uh, being kind to our neighbors or helping somebody change a flat tire, you know, giving somebody a ride to the store. Uh, you know, just what can we do? Uh, you know, and they say, you know, they say when you see somebody on the street who needs a dollar, don't give it to them because they just use it for cigarettes or beer or 
Well, and of course, you know, I had a lady tell me one time that she didn't mind giving folk a dollar or two on the street because uh, if they're going through something and, <laughs> and a beer helps, uh, well, uh, maybe that's a, it's a dollar well given. So, uh, uh, so um, you know, uh, so that's that's the question. Uh, so, uh, folks, uh, you've been listening to uh, On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and... Uh, we're broadcasting from uh, the top of the Habern Building in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, the name of the show is On the Edge with K.A. Owens. So, folks, uh, we'll be back uh, next week right here at 106.5 FM on your radio dial. <laughs>